All right, I'm going to start us off with prayer, and we're going to get into the doctrine of creation. God, I am so blessed that we get uh, an opportunity to worship you, to uh, glorify you, to praise you. But Lord, we are, we are blessed that we get to also discuss truths, Lord. It's the worship of you involves the discussion of truths, of things that you have revealed through your creation, through your teaching, through scripture. What's been carried along by the Holy Spirit, Lord, we are here prepared to espouse and affirm and discuss as a group. May our worship of you be more accurate, be more holy, and be more um, representative of our role in this relationship, Lord, and the greatness of who you are as creator. Please bless this service today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're getting into the doctrine of creation today. Um, the plan as far as this is we're going to be going through five bullet points on the left. The verses, or the top one, is the 1689 4.1. So whoever has the microphone first, if you wouldn't mind hunting that down. I didn't look at the page or which hymnal we had and things like that. So um, you can even Google it if you need to. Um, but there's not going to be a particular point. If you have the mic, just go on to the next one. Be ready for when... You get the Sunday School Point of Destiny, and you will then uh, be able to read for us. Uh, that, that is the, ooh, the ask today. All right, and the mic's being a little echoey, it sounds like a bit, but we should be good, hopefully. Okay. Let me open up to the correct. Okay. Uh, we're actually going to start off our Doctrine of Creation with the reading of the uh, chapter 4.1, so the first paragraph of chapter 4 on the doctrine of creation. Uh, whoever has the mic, if you wouldn't mind reading that for us. In the beginning, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Amen. And then I'm going to also read, actually, a quote from C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> this act, creation, as it is for God, must always remain totally inconceivable to man. For we, even our poets and musicians and inventors, never, in the ultimate sense, make. We only build. We always have material to build from. Uh, that the significance I want to call out of this quote is this idea of it remaining always inconceivable to us. The doctrine of creation is an important doctrine, and, and you might even feel, and it does have some overlap, we addressed it some in our previous Sunday schools, that has some overlap with the doctrine of omnipotence, but the doctrine of creation has its own specific significant theology that comes out of it as well. But there should be this awe and reverence, like we talked about with omnipotence, but almost, uh, as C.S. Lewis puts it, inconceivable. Uh, we shouldn't be able, we will never be able to fully understand on earth how God could create, because it's never been done before God, and it will never be done after that, right? That, that creation from words alone. So, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is where we get our creation. We get our, our as our 1689 put it, our six-day creation account. The seventh day he rests, but our six-day creation account. And 
it's far more than an informational account, right? So a lot of times, perhaps we spend our time thinking about creation or um, a lot of debates, Ken Ham exhibits and things like that, where um, Ken Ham's uh, uh, Experiment Creation Museum and, and things like that, dedicated to the scientific approach to creation from a biblical perspective, which is, which is great. But Genesis 1 and 2 is a lot more than that. It starts off, it is our first initial introduction to not just scripture, but to God. And, and God as creator, it should from the beginning put us in our place versus God's place, right? It should show us the distance between this creator-created line that we continue to, to refer to. It's, it's rather easy over time, I think, in creation, when you're around creation or think about God as creator, to become um, numb to the significance of that. I think of it as the frog in the pot um, that, you know, the water starts heating up, heating up. You're just around it. You're used to it. Maybe as a child, you're just think, you, you might have an awe for it. But over time, you know, you're around mountains enough. You're around... Um, things, people, other things enough, and it, you can become numb to it, and yet we, we should be in awe and inspired by it. Let me uh, read you a portion here from, we're going to have a few of these that I read today from the, the book we're going through, so uh, it's Do You Believe by Tripp. Um, I'm going to be reading a portion here. There could be nothing more important than what is written in Genesis 1 and 2. Minimizing its significance and wonder is the seedbed of all kinds of idolatries. Open your eyes and your heart to the glory that is everywhere around you. Every glorious created thing is designed by God to be a finger that points to his glory. So within this, within this awe and this, this inspiration and the wonder that is creation, we're going to look at five things specifically that we should be getting from the doctrine of creation or what the doctrine of creation contains, and that is purpose, ownership, authority, worship, and humility. Um, there'll be overlap between a lot of these things, but, but generally speaking, we'll be referring in general to Genesis 1 and 2 and the creation account multiple times. Uh, but this is what should be coming out of our thoughts in, when we read Genesis 1 and 2, not necessarily a science textbook, but instead we should be thinking of the, the things that God is trying to communicate to us um, and the details God is communicating to us about himself and about who we are as people. So the, as far as the purpose, by being creator, God designates purpose. God is the or, or, or originator of purpose. He is the one who gives us purpose. The designer de, de, designates the purpose. Ooh, I should not put designer and designates back to back. But um, uh, the way I'm, I put it is like, does a book get to determine whether it's supposed to be a piece of decoration on a bookshelf that looks you know, pretty in a background? Or does a book get to decide whether or not it's to be read? Or what kind of content the book is? No. And so, although we are given special authority and special um, blessing in the image of God, same being is when you are created, the purpose comes from God. It comes from outside of ourselves, our purpose. Um, I want to uh, pull us to a, a pretty significant piece of literature in, in uh, American history and something that I think we all end up reading or get told at one point growing up. 
we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a pretty incredible lie. And that's a pretty incredible lie. We, we are endowed by our creator, but not to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It is, those are not the rights to which we are, we are um, in, in, uh, embedded with from our creator. We're embedded with our creator, the ability to do the purpose of our creator, or the desire that is our purpose, is to do the will of our creator. So let's turn, whoever has the mic now, Psalm 73, 25 through 28. Uh, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God, my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. All right. Uh, uh, Westminster Catechism. First question. Anyone got answers? Anyone got question and answer? I guess, Sean, you got a look. Give, give Sean the mic if you wouldn't mind, Mark. He's got it down. So I think I mentioned this at the beginning of worship a few weeks ago. So, um, the first question and answer, I think it's the shorter cause of catechism. It says, what is the chief end of man? Okay, which relates, of course, to purpose. The word end means purpose in this case. And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. Absolutely. So um, the chief end of man is to glorify God, not the pursuit of happiness, not our will. We don't get to choose our purpose in life. It is given to us. It is expected of us. And it starts from creation. Genesis 1 and 2, this is what we should be getting from it, is that there is a per- we have been created with a purpose, and that purpose comes from someone outside of ourselves, and the distance between us and God designates the authority of that purpose and who, who has the right to determine that purpose. Uh, let's see, whoever has the mic next, if you wouldn't mind turning to Philippians 2.13. Okay, I'm again reading out of the NLT, so it might be a little looser translation than the ESV. Um, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen. So God is working through us to do the desire, uh, what pleases God. Um, And then whoever has the microphone, uh, please read Romans 9, 20 through 21. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So that particular passage is in reference, it's talking about salvation and God's right to determine who he elects. But Uh, is absolutely applicable in the same logic. We as the potter, as the pot, as the vessels, have no right to say to to the potter, why have you made me for this purpose? Or you should not have made me, or I get to choose my purpose, or how I sit on that shelf for him to be used for water or you know, um, whatever else might be unclean uh, within the realm of pottery. 
So additionally, in addition to purpose, along with this, we should see clear ownership. Who owns us? You made us, who owns us? It's God. So um, uh, if whoever has the mic would turn to Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. So God's ownership should be coming to us clearly through the creation account. Um, we do not belong to ourselves. We do not belong to ourselves. So even, uh, even our purpose, our, our own bodies, all those things, although we have um, a semblance of control over things or authority now, it all rests on God, and it, even our own bodies do not belong to God. And we see this uh, especially clearly as we start to get into passages where um, the, we're imbued by the, or in, um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and our body is a temple. It's not our temple, it's God's temple. Uh, and so this ownership should naturally be coming to us, this thought of ownership from creation, the doctrine of creation. It is not our world to do with it as we please. We've been given certain responsibilities to steward the world, but it is not ours to do with it as we please. I'm going to read another excerpt from our book here. Tripp says uh, about ownership, we must interact with steward with <clears throat> we must interact with and steward the physical environment, plants and animals, land, air, and water with a humble recognition that it doesn't belong to us. This means we are the resident managers of a place made by the Lord for his glory and held together by his power. So we, so with humility, thankfulness, and commitment, we give ourselves to care for what belongs to another so he will be pleased and get the credit that is due him and him alone. This stewardship does not extend just to our physical environment, but to each other as well. We are called to represent God's love and care for all those made in his image and his resident managers. As his resident managers, we must take seriously our calling to represent to one another God's love, justice, compassion, mercy, protection, and provision. In recognition of his ownership, we commit ourselves to a stewardship lifestyle toward our neighbor, never turning our back on suffering of any kind until we are in that place where suffering is no more. Creation naturally, or creation automatically and naturally imbues God as the owner of all things on earth and those who he's created. Okay, moving along. I'm doing good here. Uh, moving into authority. Along with this comes authority. So all of these, you can see there's, there's a beautiful Venn diagram that could be going on. Hopefully the center of our five-circle Venn diagram is, a, is the doctrine of creation, is what is in there. It should be covering all these things. Um, but as far as authority, God as creator has ultimate authority. We heard from Tripp's perspective there, and we've heard in these verses the, um, that ownership. Well, with ownership comes an authority. And even our earthly examples of ownership are a representative authority. It is not our authority on, based on us. It is us as representatives of God, our stewards. We are, have a representative authority, of the one with ultimate authority. Um, uh, whoever has the mic, if you wouldn't mind reading Romans uh, 13.1. Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Amen. Okay, so we're going to take, um, we're going to pause before going into worship and humility. I, I want to open it up to the group um, for some discussion on this. But when it relates to um, these first three, so not getting into worship and humility yet, but purpose, ownership, and authority, do you see that when you read the creation account? And when you read the creation account or think about God as creator, what, what are you seeing as far as your purpose, your relationship to God's ownership, God's authority? Are these things coming through in your understanding in the creation account? And then we'll all open it up for just general, um, any comments as well. Okay, maybe I'll put it this way. <clears throat> Why do you think... Uh, this will be too leading, so I'm just going to save my perspective and we'll go from there. I believe that it's clear that when we think about these things, worship, ownership, and authority, it's clear why the creation of all the wonderful, amazing accounts in Scripture tends to be a place of more debate, more argument. Um, the enemy... Uh, uh, Mark, we have a hand up here. Um, more debate and argument than just about any other place in Scripture. Uh, people who <clears throat> have, have no thoughts on anything else in Scripture are ready to debate me on the idea of creation and the science behind creation and those various aspects. And then Christians, I'm sure we've all been there at some point. You get taught something in school. You hear things. General society says the word science says this or that. And um, perhaps even other Christians who are believe in um, things uh, such as theistic evolution or um, depending on different views of creation, it can create a turmoil and, and, and debate. And yet why out of the you know, Old Testament where we have people living over 900 years old, God holding the sun in the sky, flooding the entire earth, out of all these things that are beyond what we would think of within the normal realm of science and history and those things, why is creation the thing that is always attacked and debated? And as Christians, I think, on the other end, why is it that creation is the hardest for us to stomach, that God intervening and as the designer, that things do not come out the way we might expect relative to all these other interactions God has with his creation? And to me, I believe it's because what comes from the doctrine of creation? If he is our creator, he has given us purpose, ownership, and authority. And so it's an effort to undermine God's very first giving of not just law, but God's giving us of these things as well as putting us in our place to God. So it is, it is a quick and fruitful attack on the ability to take from the garden that, that Adam and Eve took, which is our authority, our ownership, our right to decide right and wrong. And it, it's a reason to attack or look at creation relative to all the other things um, in, in Scripture when it comes to um, especially the non-believing world. Uh, Gary, you had your hand up. You had the mic. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, as a, as a, for a long time, I looked at creation how I was taught as a kid, which was just a story that that. The children's ministry would teach me, and I never really put a, a whole bunch of emphasis on that until I became an adult. And uh, once I learned 
the awesomeness of God, I always pause at Genesis 1-1 because <laughs> that is every, if I believe Genesis 1-1, I'm going to believe the rest of it because Genesis 1-1 to me just says, I'm God and I created. I didn't, I didn't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's help. I created. And I just look at that at times and I just, and I'm just awestruck by what that means. Amen. Even, even saying in the beginning, I mean, there's no such thing as time. So beginning, right? Like these things, these, <laughs> God, yeah, there's so much baked into just words. Any other, uh, oh man. Yeah, we got two. Man. I, is anyone controlling the mic? Are we? Okay. Sorry, it's a bit distracting. Uh, so a question comes to mind, is there any um, value or is it mostly a danger to try to reconcile the creation account, in, particularly in Genesis 1, with modern views that the universe and the earth, as we see it, took billions of years, millions of years to develop? Is there, I know people have tried to do that, but uh, is that something we should try to do? Or not? I think the approach to the question might be the problem to begin with, which is, what is the intent? Is the intent to try to bend um, scripture to make it fit what we want as humans and feel pressure on as humans? Um, so the way um, that I've heard it put and, and the, the perspective I have when approaching this is um, the be- from the beginning, the ap- scientific approach is is flawed in that it it looks at something today and says this is the way it is so this is the way it must have been and then they look back right it's a, it's a forecast back and if anyone's tried to do a forecast forward whoo so i guess it's not a forecast it's probably like a back cast or something but um but so if we were to look at for example uh, so it, it automatically assumes there is no intervention by a spiritual being by a holy, perfect God. So if we think about, say, a glass of water, if you were to look at a glass of water setting there and someone were to come up and try to apply the scientific method, you would look at it, see the glass of water. How did the glass of water come to be there? Well, it's always been there. It's just always been there. Maybe, maybe things happen to it here or there, but it's always been there. But the reality is the, someone could have just come and set it up, um, set it up one second before you looked at it. But the scientific method... On its own, if you say, well, we're going to start with the assumption that no intelligent being or that God could not have been involved with it, then it is, it's not. Um, you would have no evidence or reason to look for it. So I think because you start from a beginning place of it being flawed in terms of what we're trying to reconcile to started flawed, and then our intent and more importantly our heart in why do we feel the pressure to reconcile? Why do we feel that? Is it because we want to conform to the thoughts and hearts of man? Or is it because we want to better understand our God that we do this? Um, so um, that, that's kind of my approach to it, which is I, I don't, of all the things that there are to learn in scripture, I, I don't feel a lot of pressure there where maybe I once did because um, I've known in the past my heart was I want to not be the dumb, dumb who thinks of the earth as 6,000 years old, right? I want to be with the crowd, or I want to be seen as intelligent and not kind of foolish. Um, 
in, in the words of my geology professor in college, he's only met one or met, had met one other catastrophist before. So basically meaning that uh, someone who was believed in an actual creation and those types of things. And, um, and the fact that he felt that way, sp I think, speaks to the lack of desire for those of us who believe in creation to get into these discussions with others. So long answer to a short question, but I would say, is there value in looking at the wonderful creation that's been made for us? I think absolutely. Check your, we should be checking our hearts before we try to reconcile. It should be that the world, science needs to try to reconcile itself to scripture. Okay, we got hands plenty. Um, and this is also where I think where we have to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 1, uh, that uh, God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so we are at a, And so one of the dangers in this is trying to take on the foolishness of the world and trying to twist the scriptures to make it seem wise to people who. Um, the Bible clearly, you know, Bible says that the world will always think of Christianity as foolishness, and so, uh, and so it should be no surprise that uh, the world looks at creation as foolishness. But that is not a, that is not an indication that creation is wrong. That is an indication of the fact that the world considers its foolishness to be wisdom, and so it's um, we should not capitulate that. So love that. Thank you. So we got Jamie, uh, Jamie, Brandon, Rob Roy. We're working our way forward. Sorry, there's, yeah. As most of us know, science is man's best guess to interpret the world. And um, we are growing in our understanding of um, what things to rest upon our interpretation. But nevertheless, science does change because we learn more things to incorporate into our model. One of the interesting things that um, has become clearer in the last 50 to 100 years, depending how you look at it, is that time marches on at a different rate in different parts of the universe, depending upon the density of matter. Uh, matter actually delays time when time is all when matter is all condensed in one place. Time moves slower there than in other parts of the universe where matter is less dense. And um, the Bible speaks of the heavens being stretched out. And we look and we say, oh, the universe is expanding. That matches pretty well, I think. <laughs> um, and so forth. There are many, many other cases. Um, my only, my, the main point of my comment here is that as we learn more about the wonders of God's creation, it fits with the Bible. <laughs> well, and I would say to, your, to the model you're referring to, the, the problem is if your model starts off missing the single greatest piece of data uh, or that piece of datum um, that belongs in the model. So uh, thankfully for us, when we look at the information found and put it into our model, uh, the, the words of God, uh, things, things are getting closer. I was just going to kind of piggyback off what's been said, but like a lot of this has to do with your presuppositions. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, like modern scientists believe, you know, in not a worldwide flood. And when you take that out of your data point of history, like there are major repercussions and it makes you look at the Grand Canyon and be like, yep, 
wow, that Colorado River has just been going for a really long time. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, man, look, like this looks like a panning for gold sedimentary rock thing and a giant flood swept through here and made all these sedimentary layers, you know. Like, and then, you know, there was this, um, we went on like a tour when I was in high school and there's this guy who is like in support of young earth creationist ministries and he's talking about the Grand Canyon. And he's like, yeah, if you look at the, you know, the smoothness of the sides of the Grand Canyon, they do not support that this was a overtime slow thing. This was a rapid, you know, very catastrophic event that created this. And and then if you look at like the 20 feet of smooth wall, yeah, that's the last like 6,000 years. But the, you know, the thousand feet, that was one big flood. So sure. anyway, I think it all just, it comes down to what your assumptions are. And when you presuppose and you're looking for reasons to presuppose that God doesn't exist, you are, you know, your heart, scientists are sinners too. And their hearts are directed towards, I want Darwinism to be true because then I can be my own God. And so, anyway. Absolutely. Which, uh, as Rob Roy's getting the mic, so to really make sure we're grounding us in our Sunday school topic, why would you want to undermine that very thing if you're an enemy of God? It's because if you don't, if you acknowledge, yeah, God is a creator and there is this doctrine of creation, uh oh, now what comes with that is purpose, ownership, authority, all that don't belong to me all that don't belong to me. And so uh, the very things that, that we have been, we as humans have been rebelling against since the garden. Yeah, a couple of really good points, PJ, about you know, undermining God and authority starts with attacking creation. And part of creation is God created the male and female, and we see Amen. the attack of uh, that part of creation. Um, you do have to check your heart if you want to get into, you know, how long creation's been around. But you also have to check your heart if you want to avoid it. Mm, sure. Because as we look at the confessions of faith, which provide detail as to what we believe the Bible teaches, in the space of six days, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, um, there's a lot of resources about that particular term. It was not an accident that they used those particular terms uh, to show how we believe that God not only created things, but how God revealed how he created things. Mm, and in fact, he set apart the seventh day, right, which we still honor today, amen. which is a space of time, which then relates back to the other six days in which God created, right? So there, there's a very... If you go back, it, it was an extreme minority that looked at it any differently than that to what we subscribe the Bible teaches. The other is when you look over long periods of time, millions and billions of years, one of the arguments is, well, if God really did it in a short period of time and what we're able to look at in general revelation seems to be longer, is God lying to us? And the question that I ask is... Um, on day one, when Adam was created as a man, how old was he? And what's the answer to that question? How old were the animals? You know, Adam couldn't even say, I was born yesterday. He couldn't say that, right? So how old was he? A few hours old? But how did he, how did he appear? Sure. He had the appearance of age, though he wasn't that old, right? So... 
some inherent sinfulness assigned to God is also a part of the pattern, and it is, it's, it's a wrong presupposition from the beginning, right? And so since we weren't there before the beginning, we have to decide, especially since it's very clear our shortcomings, what are we going to believe? Are we going to believe something according to our own construct, which is inherently flawed because we don't have all the information? Or trust the one who has never not existed and has always existed and who knows all things and has revealed some of that to us? So it always comes back to belief. Amen. Wonderful. Which I think funnels this, this all is funneling perfectly into our next point, which is the doctrine of creation should bring us to worship. Just by reading Genesis 1 and 2, what should flow out of it is worship. Um, the, the encounter of God's amazing glory creates this need to worship. And hear what Tripp says here um, in, regard, in regards to worship. So in the only, once, uh, the only once in the world display of incredible divine ability at creation, you and I are meant not only to find God, but also to find, finally to find ourselves. We are required to deal with him. There is no escaping the light of his majesty. There is no avoiding the shadow of his power. This, the passage leaves us, referring to Genesis 1 and 2, leaves us nowhere to run or hide. He is too overwhelmingly huge to avoid. The glory of his majesty completely fills the stage that we may have thought was ours. From the beginning, he invites us to know him, experience his grandeur, and give ourselves to the only thing that makes sense, worship. This is not worship as a religious part of our lives, but rather worship that is the offer of our lives to this one who alone has ushered us into the place where we are to witness, uh, be, where we are witnesses to glorious glory of his glory. We are witnesses to the glorious glory of his glory. Um, so when it comes to creation, it should naturally drive us to worship. And I think um, for many of us, probably the nature is where we feel this perhaps the most. And I, I know I've, I've told my dad many times, like, if we ever had our you know, dream church building, I'd love a huge garden where we can regularly do outside church services. I mean, with the weather like this and be out like... Adam and Eve in the garden, just worshiping God out in nature. Um, but that should be the instinct, is that um, when we read the Psalms, you see how much is nature used, or how much are the, the things, even the created things, um, by man, um, subsequently from the created, uh, the creator God, are all brought up in a sense of glory and worship and faithfulness to God. So creation should naturally bring us to worship. And then lastly, we have humility. So we've, we've all of these things if we, that we've covered has an element of humility embedded to them. But again, this creator-created line should be significant. There should be a significant distance. And when we sin, when we become Eve grabbing the fruit and Adam eating the fruit from Eve, it's we are shortening our distance. We believe we have authority that God uh, more authority that only belongs to God. And we are trying to take for ourselves authority. We've seen this um, throughout scripture that as more decision-making and authority is trying to be taken by man uh, and take things away from God or take glory or ownership, um, that's where sinfulness comes from. We continue to see sinful outcroppings. So the idea of creation should take us away from self-glory 
Instead, it should be a knowledge of our smallness. And what I'd point out ultimately is our humility, worship, the authority, ownership, purpose, these are all tremendous blessings. These are the great, wonderful mercy from God to have these things. For us to choose our own purpose is a terrifying thing. For us to choose to be true owners of things is terrifying. Um, uh, To have authority that is not representative would be terrifying. So let alone the wondrous, glorious worship, just the blessing of hearing people espouse the truth of God in his church is a blessing. And to have creation, to be driven to worship of God is a blessing to us as well. Ultimately, all of creation whether it's in reading the account or interaction of creation, should be more than just a story. It should be more than a point for scientific debate or for um, uh, cute pictures and things like that for our children. There is doctrine. There is theology that comes from it. And if you get this wrong, you're getting the rest wrong. You're going to get the rest wrong. All right. With that in mind, we have time for final, maybe two more final comments or questions. Okay, we got a hand here, here, and then I think Wayne back there. Was that ear grab uh... It was a hand? Okay, okay. So uh, we have Sean, and then we have, uh, okay, here we go. Sean, Steve, and then um, Wayne. So what, I don't, I don't know if this word has even come up yet this morning, but what we're talking about this morning, the doctrine of creation is central to worldview um, because our understanding of God is the very core of worldview, and that's for everyone. Believers or not. So <clears throat> the doctrine of creation tightly is joined to our understanding of who God is. Right. So the thing that happened um, it, by the Enlightenment, and by the Enlightenment period, I mean <clears throat> this period in the 1700s when our reliance for truth was shifting away from the pursuit of um, theology and philosophy and, and moving in that way. It was moving strictly towards science and towards strict reason as a way to understand truth. As a result of the Enlightenment, we moved from thinking that faith and reason were compatible, which had always been in the West. Faith and reason were compatible with one another. We moved toward an incompatibility between those two things. There was a hard line driven between faith and reason, and I think Kant was the one who kind of finally established that. But, um, and so this is, this is why we are where we are today, you know, in this great shift to where, um, you know, you, you, it's like you either choose faith or reason. That's, that seems to be the modern secular mindset, you know. Um, either choose the secular way, the right way, or you, you know, choose faith and you're wrong, right? But Christianity has always said, no, faith and reason are compatible. And this is why, you know, even surrounding our discussion this morning, we see how um, this is a possibility. Our faith is reasonable, um, yeah. you know? Um, it's not blind faith. God has given us many evidences of his existence, right? Um, but yet there are things we must take in faith, you know? Um, the resurrection, um, you know, there are, there are things we must take in faith. And so, um, anyway, just, just thought I'd bring that up uh, this morning. That this, the, the worldview implica- implications of this are profound. Thank you. Yeah. And then uh, go ahead and hand it back. And uh, I, would, I completely agree. I would say it's, uh, uh, it's the only reasonable thing. Uh, <laughs> anything outside of God is unreasonable. Go ahead, Steve. 
Um, one question that I think about about creation is how that will, what we think about creation deals with our view of eschatology and particularly the world without end. And is there going to be a time where the universe, God will cause the universe to revert to Genesis 1-2, where it's you know, form, void and formless, and then recreate a new heavens and new earth that will be without end? So I wonder if we will be able, everyone will be able to witness God creating everything again. Yeah, gr great questions. I don't know if yeah, yeah, great questions. Um, I, I know God will create a new heaven and a new earth and the how and what we see or what we know or what we observe, I would say I'm, I'm not uh, sure of, but wonderful things to consider. I, I look at this, uh, uh, the doctrines of creation in the light of uh, second Genesis, and that would be found in Isaiah 13, the seven I wills, it said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, that is above the authority of God. So I look at this in light of sin, the genesis of sin, the purpose uh, was not God, the purpose was this was created for me. Ownership, well, I own my own life, and I look at authority he says, I will set my stars above the heavens. He will put his authority above God's authority. And worship, he worships himself. And humility, this is the antithesis of humility. So I see that in terms of our own lives. This is how sin manifests itself in our lives and in the lives of society at large. I will determine whether I'm a boy or a girl. You know, it sets itself above God. Wonderful. Yeah, very true. Uh, all right, Dad. This better be good. I'm going to read just one verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Amen. Amen. God, I am blessed by these brothers and sisters who clearly think and dwell on the things of God, Lord. I pray that as we interact with our world, Lord, that we are continually driven back to our creator. Everything is pointing towards you and your glory, Lord, and let us attribute the glory to where it belongs and not to ourselves. May this day be a day of worship holy for you, Lord. May the call for repentance go out clearly. May the gospel be taught, and may faith be brought to those who have not yet repented but need to repent, Lord. I pray that it will be a, an, effectual, an effectual service to which calls the sinner to you, Lord. But I pray also that for those of us who are believers, that we will be able to become more like Christ as a result of today's service that we might glorify you better, that we might acknowledge our creator and the only one who creates and understand our position as created beings and our role in stewarding the, the authority that you have allowed us to have a piece of on this earth, Lord, but that it might be used to your glory. May you be glorified in all things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.